0: Alright, the break is over with welcome back another new season
1: of off the radar and we're expecting it Woo-hoo. to be bigger and better than ever and maybe even we're patiently try awaiting the return of off the radar. Here it is. We may be down a few members. At least
0: from the last time that you watched or listened to an episode, right? Right,
1: but we got some great thoughts, great ideas where we're going to take it this year. And we've also been a little busy over the course of the summer, which is just flying by. It's unbelievable, isn't it? believe it that we are uh, on the verge of about ready to turn over the calendar to August. Coming up in a little bit, you're going to hear a little bit more about what's kept us busy over the course of the summer. So looking forward to sharing that with you guys as well. And of course, first and foremost, the weather's always keeping us busy as well.
0: Always keeping us on our toes. We're in the Part of vacation season right now. So we're kind of been flipping around for us here. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the major weather stories that have happened over the past few days. This is going to be kind of a new segment that we're doing right here on Off the Radar where we talk about uh, not only the local weather. Of course, we're focused in on that, but we hear everything that's going on nationally. And every now and again, we're going to kind of pick a story, break out, and talk about exactly why that happened there and uh, give you some more perspective on that.
1: Like perspective on it. As wacky as our weather could be, too. There's always stuff that's going on across the country. You'll hear about it. in The news headlines. But with Off the Radar, we can get a little bit more detailed with it and break down maybe some science behind it. Also, talk about uh, how common it is or if it could happen. In our local area So, if well. this is
0: your first time watching here on WTOL.com on Off the Radar, our new YouTube channel, welcome. This is a show that is all about geeking out on the weather. Of course, we try to do it as much as we can on TV. This is a new platform for us to go to that next level.
1: Next level. Sometimes <laughs> I'm a little, we'll be honest, we need a little balance on there because we dive really deep into the weeds on it, but yeah. hey, this is the time we can do that. So, happy to have you guys along as well and certainly hope you continue to follow this. We plan making this a a weekly Thing that's going to be in uh, on your desktop or maybe on your mobile as well.
0: We know how big weather is in northwest Ohio, southeastern Michigan, how many questions there always are that are swirling in the air over our heads. And so we hope this is another outlet for you. Or if you know somebody, family member, or friend that just loves the weather, this is another chance for them to kind of geek out alongside of us. Kind of like us. Yeah, we needed an outlet, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to work Fair out. All right. All right. Yeah, so uh, talking about that one, too. Also, uh, new from last season to this season we're really excited about this one each week we're going to try to bring on a new guest and give you perspective on their area of expertise today it's going to be an expert from Bowling Green State University Tim Davis he's going to be joining us just a little bit later on in this episode to break down not only this season of algae in Lake Erie but some of the latest research what's happening he's going to answer all sorts of questions
1: really on the verge of turning it over to August this is about the time where those Mm -hmm. algae blooms really could become a significant issue obviously this means a great deal to our local area we're going to be a lot of those local issues that impact not only our area but may impact you as well and kind of keep you up to date and informed on what's going on in our All right.
0: So we said we were going to break out not only local weather, but what's going on across the country. So we thought we'd every week give maybe highlight two or three different things that are going on in the weather around the country and uh, focus in on them. So what do you say? Let's start it off. Okay. so uh, flooding has been a major issue across uh, Ohio, the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And one of those spots that we've seen uh, has been St. Louis. They had what's called an MCS, a mesoscale convective system. Layman's terms. Big complex
1: of storms, <laughs> a lot of yeah.
0: thunderstorms, uh, and they had some damage from that, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, I do believe we have some video of some of that uh, flooding that happened down there in St. Louis. You can see uh, this is your standard don't drive in high water right. video. Of course, cars stall out there, and that's uh, where people get in the most trouble in these sorts of situations. A lot of
1: times these MCSs are large complexes of storms. They're fueled during the overnight hours. They could sustain much of the night, and it's not uncommon for these to dump 6, 8, even up to 10 Inches of rainfall, and there were reports in Missouri of over a half a foot of rainfall. That obviously, too much rainfall too quickly leads to that significant flooding. And this is actually one of many of those types of storms that occurred. Had uh, another one that I just saw across the state of Wisconsin that actually brought some. Uh, major damaging winds, a macro burst, which they believe brought 90 mile per hour winds hmm. for about a 15 mile stretch.
0: So macro bursts, what's the difference between that? I, I think people out there have probably heard micro, micro bursts. bursts. Yeah. yeah.
1: Micro bursts are very small, compact areas mm-hmm. of wind damage. They're a macro micro. burst is a much larger area sustained for a much longer period of time. Uh, I guess the, the bigger, bigger brother to that would be the,
0: the Duratio, The, the Dorito. Oh, Duratio. Duratio, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Often confused with Dorito, though. Mm, nacho cheese. It always right. comes back to food. It, it really
0: does. does. All right. Uh, hey, let's talk about too. Uh, this week we had a tropical depression form off the eastern end of right. Florida. This is something the National Hurricane Center was watching. Uh, it got us thinking we're not really in the heart of hurricane season, but we're getting closer what
1: happens very quickly. Maybe mm-hmm. Barry was a reminder for that as well as it went mm-hmm. up through Louisiana and actually made its way up into the Ohio river Valley and did bring us some rain, but take a look at this map that we have prepared for you. And this is just a general outlook of tropical systems that form in the month of July. And we can tell you this actually only ramps up as we get into August as well as we get closer to the peak of our tropical cycle. Now,
0: you're seeing a lot of spaghetti noodles on your map right here. And basically, each one of these. Again, it comes back
1: to food with you. (laughs) It really does. All right. I'll defend you on that one. That is a legit meteorological term. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. Mm. Uh, So, this is the last
0: Ten years, July hurricanes in the Atlantic Ocean. You can see it, it is quite active. Number of those have hit the uh, U.S. And as you mentioned, Barry was technically, I believe, Chris, correct? A category one when it made landfall. Very,
1: very briefly, it was For category about three minutes. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see about that. But you may yeah. notice a few of those names on out there that do stand on out. Uh, Irma and Matthew, yeah. some of the more recent ones and notable ones that do stand out on that list. All right.
0: So uh, that leads us to our number one weather. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it weather event that has happened across the country. This one happened just yesterday, which would have been Tuesday. And what's amazing about this one is it was a tornado, uh, but it was in Massachusetts and it was in the morning. That's not
1: a combination no. that
0: happens very often, It's not, it?
1: especially geographically for that area as well. Uh, it was really kind of uh, interesting to watch the science behind this one, though, as it was hitting in real time. Uh, it did hit Cape Cod. Maybe people vacationed on out Check there. Check out this video right yeah, here. Watch ready? This. this is the best video you're going to see of the day. Watch the roof.
0: Woo. <sighs> and the person Close keeps enough. recording.
1: I don't know how they keep uh, recording. Frightening, right? just as those max winds were coming through. Uh, The National Weather Service was actually able to confirm this tornado almost instantly. Now you may ask, well, how were they able to do that one? Because usually it typically takes storm survey crews to Mm -hmm. head on out there to survey the damage. They were able to determine that this was immediately a tornado by using Doppler radar, and specifically, they detected what was a debris, a tornado debris signature on radar, and direct um, conf- confirmation from the National Weather Service Office as this was happening in real time said, We have a confirmed tornado crews are already going to be in route to survey the damage to determine the magnitude of that tornado. So very cool how science has kind of advanced things. We we're able to detect and confirm tornadoes just based on scientific data. Now.
0: I want to get back to that tornado debris signature in just a second. First, I believe we have a sound bite from somebody over here in Massachusetts as well.
2: I had a hard time getting back here because in whole trees were blocking roads
0: and power lines down. So that's an area that has A lot of older trees, and it's neighborhoods that are are kind of a little bit smaller as far as the roadways go, so easily blocked there. Uh, Gives credence to what you were talking about just a moment ago, Chris. Uh, Tornado debris signature. Woof! That would be an example of something that would be lofted up in the air by a tornado, correct? Hey,
1: look at the exact video that you saw right there. So a tornado comes through, it blows the roof off. That is going to loft insulation, parts of roof, shingles, maybe even 2 by 4s up into the atmosphere where radar can actually detect them. And radar can determine those are unusual sized particles and uh, obviously the trajectory or you know the pattern of that shows it very clearly as a signature on radar. So uh, scientists and meteorologists are able to detect and determine based on foreign objects that get lofted up into a tornado that it is unusual.
0: So basically radar has become so advanced now, it not only says, yes, it's raining or it's raining hard, it can tell us, is that actually a raindrop or is that a haildrop, is that... Insects or or is that something totally different and if it's something totally different that typically means the things you were just talking about pieces of buildings, trees, other things like that Uh, and that's not just specific to their radar over there in Massachusetts. That's all National Weather Service radars now has the ability uh, to detect that and we do
1: that right here too as well. Analyze and interpret that data so if there's ever a storm such as that one, we'd be able to do that right here during our tornado coverage as well. By the way, the crews did go out and survey that one. Winds up to 110 miles per hour is pretty strong. EF1 tornado.
0: All right, EF1, amazing. EF1 can do that sort of damage. Yeah. Gets that roof going up. Winds just smack it, acts like a sail. Um, Okay, so major story every single summer. Can you put five years since the Toledo water crisis?
1: That seems like like it was just a summer or two ago. No doubt about that.
0: So we've been uh, keeping up with the very latest. Of course, that's our commitment to you out there to see not only what the current conditions are on Lake Erie, but some of the latest research that's been going on as well. And is there a potential end in sight to these uh, algae blooms every single summer? It feels like right now. So uh, we're going to be back in just a moment. We're going to have an expert on that algae in Lake Erie, and we're going to get to answer some of those questions. Good morning, we begin with breaking news. An
1: overnight crash cuts power to hundreds. It's a rainy start to your day and that will continue into the afternoon. A crash on 75 Northbound has traffic
0: detour to Alexis Road. Amazing
1: food, fun and games this weekend.
0: Welcome back to Off the Radar. We said we're going to be doing something new this year or this season on Off the Radar, and that is to bring live guests onto the show here. And we're very excited. First one, Tim Davis, Associate Professor of Biological Services at Bowling Green State University. Uh, Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. This is
0: exciting. You're number one. What do you think?
2: Well, it's, I didn't know that until you just said it, so I guess it's that's good.
0: Cool. All right, so, uh, Tim, you have done an immense amount of research in Lake Erie. I think we first met when you were working up at Glural in Ann Arbor a couple of probably weeks after the Toledo water crisis happened. You've since migrated down to Bowling Green State University. You continue your research uh, there as well. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen change over the last five years and kind of what you do on a daily basis
2: sure so uh well what i do on a daily basis changes from day to day which is great because that's one of the things i really enjoy. you're not stuck in a
0: classroom every day or in in a setting like that especially not in summer you know we
2: have a lot of students that are out on the lake doing uh doing research um not just in lake erie but throughout the state of ohio so Uh, You know, we always talk about um, this this kind of raging forest fire in front of us. We have a little can of water and I just put out the parts (laughs) of the fire that are closest to burning my feet. Um, So that's our short term strategy. Our long term strategy is that we have seasonal projects going on, uh, trying to understand what's driving the blooms in Lake Erie, what's uh, driving the toxin production by the blooms, the toxin that caused the Toledo water crisis, uh, so we're doing a lot of work in the lake, um, just routine sampling and working with our with our federal and state partners. Um, but when you talk about Lake Erie and how it's changed over the past uh, five years, maybe mm-hmm. since the Toledo water crisis, but I will say that there's a there's a lot more um, visibility of the problem, mm-hmm. right? So before the Toledo water crisis, uh, the Lake Erie bloom it was always it's been present.
0: This isn't something that just kind of popped out of nowhere. This is something that's been around well before the Toledo water crisis, right? Absolutely.
2: Um, But it was kind of the, it it was overlooked, right? It was something that happened in the lake, but it didn't affect people's lives on a Mm day-to-day basis until the Toledo water crisis occurred, and then people realized that, wow, this event that's in the lake can actually impact me, um, even if I don't go to the lake or go to lake very rarely it can still impact my life so that grabbed a lot of you know state local Mm -hmm. national international attention so now we're seeing a lot more focus on understanding the bloom a lot more focus on outreach Um, so the work that you do um, and a lot of our other partners uh, do in terms of just trying to take the work that's going on at BGSU and our partners uh, and conveying it in a way that's easily accessible uh, for the general public so that they really understand what is driving the blooms because the blooms are a problem, but they're not the problem, right? They're the visual symptoms of,
0: you know, a Mm -hmm. watershed that, you know, has, uh, that's unhealthy. Talk to me about some of the conundrums you go through almost on a daily basis with this because as I've dove into this algae issue over the last five years or so, I've described it, you said a wildfire. I describe it almost as a spider web, where if you go on one path, there's about 10 issues that seem to spiral off of that as well. What are some of the big issues that kind of just keep perpetuating themselves that, that you've you've noticed or run into that make this such a hard issue to kind of really get on top of?
2: Sure. So th- that's a great question because each year, Lake Erie gives us a natural experiment, right? There's a different bloom that forms. It starts in different places you know every time we think uh we have a good handle on something uh you know lake erie kind of throws us a curveball every now and again Mm -hmm. there is a lot we do know so the research that we've been conducting has given us a lot of insight into the you know the the environmental drivers of these blooms but when it comes to you know the curveballs it's uh we get a wind pattern for example that creates a circulation in lake erie that pushes a bloom to an area where we weren't expecting it or mm-hmm. like last year the bloom started almost two weeks earlier than we normally expect it to start right and that would due to a relatively warm may mm-hmm. which then you know caused the bloom so as soon as lake erie we have the nutrients in lake erie so as soon as lake erie reaches a temperature where these cyanobacteria like what to temperature grow, is that right now it's around 17 degrees uh celsius okay. i'll let you do the conversion on that um Cause i mainly talk in celsius uh but it's in the 70s once it hits that critical threshold yeah. a bloom can form um so when that if that occurs depending on when that occurs that's when we start to see the bloom form so again last year um it started early right mm-hmm. so we had to ramp up monitoring programs earlier than than anticipated uh, in 2015 one of the, the largest bloom in record in history uh, there was so much rain in the late season that the bloom actually started out near the Bass Islands, right? And, and worked its way westward, where typically it starts out like it is this year mm-hmm. along the Michigan uh, coast and, and Maumee Bay, and then kind of expands eastwards towards the islands right. as it develops. So every year there's something different, but there are some consistencies, and the, the year-to-year monitoring that we do, the long-term monitoring um, that's occurring in the lake, allows us to look at these differences so we can see similarities between years, the differences between years, and that allows us to understand the long-term drivers and the seasonal changes throughout the bloom, which most of the time those are those are pretty typical. The bloom starts out, you know, very toxic early mm-hmm. in the season, um, tends to be less toxic late in the season, although the scums that form that form that green paint are always mm-hmm. dangerous. So we can see some patterns, but again, Lake Erie is big, it's dynamic. And these
0: blooms, therefore, are dynamic, so we
2: can't ever take anything for granted.
0: Talk to me about, I I think this is a fair statement to say, most people out there that are listening or watching just want to know, am I going to be able to drink my water safely this year, right? What are the things that we know, and more importantly, perhaps, what are the things we don't know yet when making a forecast or looking at the lake right now for the rest of this summer into being able to answer that question for people? Yeah. Another good question. So I'm going to take your second question first. Mm-hmm. What we can
2: forecast right now is we can forecast bloom location mm-hmm. and movement, right? So the seasonal forecast gives us an idea of how you know severe the bloom will be in terms of you know how how much biomass will be in the western basin at, at peak. De- at peak density. So we have an idea right. of kind of the scale of what scale it's going to be. And short-term movements, so we can the the uh, the. Lake Erie uh, harmful algal bloom Mm -hmm. uh, bulletin gives us a
0: short term understanding of okay the bloom is here and in the next five days it's projected to move. So for water treatment plans for charter boat captains for anybody that has an interest out on the water that gives them the ability to look at in the short term where it's headed.
2: Where it is and also where it is in the water column. So if it's at the surface it's a recreational issue If it's being mixed down to depth where the water intakes are then it becomes more of an intake uh, drinking water issue. Although drinking water treatment plants are always treating the water that comes in mm-hmm. for these toxins. So when your first question is the water safe to drink? Yes, we, uh, I live in Bowling Green. Uh, we have the Bowling Green water treatment plant draws water from the mommy river. Mm-hmm. My, I, and my family drink the water that comes out of the tap. Um, we have to remember that we've had a couple of incidences, right? So the Toledo water crisis in 2014 and the, uh, 2013 Carroll Township incident, which was a smaller scale, but same concept, where toxins made it through the drinking water treatment process. However, these blooms have been occurring since the late 90s, as we talked about earlier, and they can last anywhere between four and six months, and the water treatment plants are treating every day. So for the most part, you know, the water treatment plants are able to remove the toxins that are dangerous and provide safe, clean drinking water out of the tap. Um when these incidences occur, you know, public trust gets eroded, right? Sure. Everybody gets a little suspicious then. Yeah, sure. But, you know, since then, you know, there are uh, regulations that the water treatment plants have to abide by in terms Mm -hmm. of testing for the toxins. They test throughout the treatment plant. They test the finished water before it gets distributed. Mm -hmm. And they are putting in place and they are making active upgrades to a lot of the treatment plants, especially plants like Toledo, to help ensure that clean drinking water is continued to be provided. All
0: right, I'd like to pivot a little bit here, Tim. Uh, th- this is one of those events I think about the Toledo water crisis and the years that have followed that. There's a lot of kids that are out there that are just starting to form opinions on different professions and different things they might want to do with their lives. I can imagine this being a pivotal moment for some kids in the Toledo area in northwest Ohio that sit there and say, you know, I've never really thought about Lake Erie and the health of Lake Erie and that sort of thing. Walk me through. How did you get to the position where you are today? Was it you saw green scum one day and you thought, wow, that looks pretty fun. How how did you get here? And and what would you say to the kids that might be out there watching? Like, how do you get to, to where you might be?
2: Sure, that's a great question. Well, uh, like a lot of people that live on the Great Lakes, I spent, um, I grew up in New York, but I spent most of my summers on the shores of Lake Michigan. So I always took them for granted, right? They were there, you know, especially Lake Michigan. There's a lot of water. Um, And I was always fascinated. I went from living on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean to Michigan. Um, So I was always fascinated with aquatic uh, biology and marine biology. And I always said to myself, well, I'm never going to study anything that I have to look under a microscope to see. Uh, that didn't work out so well for me because I study these blooms that are that are composed of microscopic organisms but um, I really started studying harmful algal blooms on Long Island Um, I when we looked at the ability to provide clean drinking water and how important that is Mm -hmm. and how our actions as you know a society are impacting this precious resource um, that kind of led me away from my track as of you know, really wanted to study, uh, you know, marine mammals, um, and uh, you know, uh, marine. Well, so you've always been a little interested in the weather, or in uh, the in the water. Always been interested in the water. I spent most of my time on the water, uh, but when we started to look at the impacts we were having on the water, these harmful algal blooms were a direct impact of our um, actions in the watershed and on the sure, land. the way we live. So I wanted to. You know, focus my career on. Well, how do we provide clean drinking water? Um, how do we clean up these lakes so that we can continue to recreate on them the way I did when I was when I was a kid? And, mm-hmm. and for the most part, there are a lot of places in the Great Lakes, even Lake Erie, um, where you can do that safely. And it's it's these are these are a world class resource. But when you're seeing these events mm-hmm. occur. Uh, obviously it means that you know these lakes are unhealthy and I wanted to dedicate my career to helping clean up these lakes because they are great lakes they, they are a unique resource that we have as a region and you know seeing the degradation that was occurring not just from water quality issues but invasive species um, and other issues that we're seeing throughout the Great Lakes to me you know these global globally important resources are something that I couldn't overlook and just
0: wanted to focus my career on helping to improve you love what you do, don't you? Uh, every day. Mostly every day. <laughs> it shows. Yeah. So some great knowledge there, Tim. We appreciate you coming up here and spending some time with us. Time with us on Off the Radar. Our first guest for Off the Radar. All right. Put that feather in your cap. You I can will. put that up on the wall of fame or something well, can for I you. You really go up from here, right? <laughs> Tim, thank you very much. And for all of you, we've got more Off the Radar coming up right after this. Good morning, we begin with breaking news.
1: An overnight crash cuts power to hundreds. It's a rainy start to your day and that will continue into the afternoon. A crash on 75 Northbound has traffic detour to Alexis Road. Amazing food, fun and games this weekend.
0: All right. Welcome back in. Uh, just uh, welcome back in. Just fascinating t- uh, to kind of hear about uh, everything going on with the lake.
1: Yeah, and, uh, certainly solutions. We're hopeful for that and yeah. we hope to work to that. And as uh, you said before, too, as well, it's a commitment that we're going to do to work toward that. And, of course, keep you up to date with the latest.
0: As we've been saying, this has been a very busy summer. We've had a lot of weather going uh,
1: on. Can we catch a breath yet? <laughs>
0: Uh, But this is something that uh, we've been very busy for a a number of reasons. Uh, Chris, you've been doing some wonderful work, of course, as you've always been doing for the last few years with St. Jude.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's kept me busy, and you are starting a brand new initiative Mm. as well. Tell us a little bit about this.
0: Um, So uh, we are working, uh, we're calling this Wood County Plays. Uh, For those of you that haven't heard about this, uh, we're working to bring an inclusive playground or inclusive playgrounds to Northwest Ohio. Uh, We've seen a uh, gap in the ability for children of all abilities to get out and play on playgrounds and so uh, what we're trying to do is start a fundraising campaign and uh, build the first inclusive playground in Perrysburg. You're seeing photos of an example of one of those down in Finley right there at the uh, Miracle Park that they have.
1: And We're starting to see more of these pop up too. What's the main goal you guys want to get out of this?
0: There's there's two main goals. One we want to have a playground. All kids should have the ability to have a place in their community to go play and right now we don't have that for a number of reasons. Number one, accessibility. Right. If a kid uses a water Uses mul- or uses a, a wheelchair, mulch is no good. It's very difficult for independent play in those sorts of situations. And number two, we want all playgrounds to be safe. For kids that might have uh, a sensory disorder or something that makes them overwhelmed in an environment of a traditional playground, we want to make sure that their family can let them go there and be safe. So something as simple as fencing around a playground can be very important.
1: Where do we stand right now with this one and mm-hmm. what's kind of the next step going forward I and mean, what should we be looking forward to to the community? We're so, very
0: excited. Uh, so we're in the organizational stage of this. You can see some of the renderings that we had out there for the potential playground. Right, uh, right now we're looking at uh, some of the parks in Perrysburg, uh, more specifically targeting Rotary Community Park. Uh, we're finalizing sure. as we speak right now the exact equipment that will go on it. You can see there's different age appropriate Very commitments cool. and uh, you know, it's just exciting. We're hoping to start this, you can see it right there, summer of 2020. The goal out like there. Have it
1: done. Looking forward to that one. I'd yeah. love to see that.
0: So we're excited about that one. Of course, uh, it seems like uh, all about the kids here, and, and that's yeah. what the mission has been for St. Jude as well. It's
1: been absolutely incredible. And I'll tell you what, this is our third year where we've gone ahead with that St. Jude Dream Home giveaway. It has just been truly spectacular, and I can't thank people enough for supporting this great mission. And I'm so excited because we've officially now Sold out of the 2019 St. Jude Dream Home. I'm excited, I don't right? have the cowbell. I'm sorry. I, I wish bell. I had the cowbell <laughs> with me here. And the cool thing about this one, it gives me chills every time I think about it. We raised $1 million this year for the wow. kids and families at St. Jude. Uh, it's a message we're sharing with you guys as well because it means so much, I think, not just to this community, but for the world. They really t- take care and think of everything. No child or family ever receives a bill for any medical treatment at St. Jude for their treatment, their travel, their housing, for the really expensive medical care. Think about this. You're working in the yard. You you hit your hand with a hammer, Mm -hmm. and you have to go to the doctor's or urgent care or emergency room. Do you know the thousands and thousands of dollars that you get for that bill? Think of how expensive it is when you're battling cancer. And these kids and families never receive a bill for a dime of that treatment. It's truly amazing.
0: And never have to worry about receiving a bill for that. And that takes a lot off these families.
1: It does. And for 60 years, that's the commitment that Danny Thomas started out with. And it continues to uh, this day today. So this ain't You dream home back in our community supporting mm-hmm. that mission that Danny Thomas started so many decades ago. It's so exciting to say August 15th. That is when the winner of the St. Jude Dream Home Giveaway is going to be determined. This home is beautiful down in Perrysburg, built by Buckeye Real Estate Group, almost 2,400 square feet. And if you haven't been out to one of the open houses yet, this is just going to amazing. People have been overwhelmed by it. Some people have been asking if they could get more tickets. (laughs) Sorry, not this year. Sold on out. Sold out. out.
0: All been reserved, right?
1: Yeah. So with that fact, the, the winning ticket has been sold. Question is, is it yours? That's a fun thought, isn't it? It is a fun thought. For somebody out there, it's going to be life-changing for them, somebody in this community, but also for the kids. If you're sitting at
0: home with one of those tickets, put it in a very safe place. (laughs) Yes, make sure that it's sitting there for you.
1: Looking forward to calling your name if you have a ticket on August 15th.
0: All right, so for people that, of course, want to learn more information about St. Jude, you can go online uh, and get that information and more about the house and the other prizes that are going to be out there. uh, And fail to mention as well, wcplays.org. That's where you can find out more information on our Inclusive Playground Project. So if you want to learn more about that, I would encourage you to go over there. So just some of the things that have been keeping us very busy here on Off the Radar. We'll keep you connected. No doubt about that one. So this has been a really good first episode. What do you think?
1: Shake it off a little of the rust, but I think we're (laughs) back at it, right? Yeah. Ready to go.
0: Looking forward to what's going to be another successful season here on Off the Radar. Next week, we're going to bring in some more members for our team. How about
1: Uh, we introduce you to our newest member of the First Alert Weather Team, Uh, You're going to have to wait, though, to next week.
0: Might put somebody on the hot seat. All right. (laughs) For now, that's the latest episode here on Off the Radar. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Have a good one.